The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Learn to quiet the noise of the ego and connect to the truth of your soul. Join former monk and host of the Practicing Human podcast, Corey Mascara, for Living in Alignment, a weekend workshop live stream, live from Omega Institute's campus in Rhinebeck, New York, June 28th through 30th. Rebuild your life from a place of embodied listening and quiet knowing. To learn more and register for this live stream, go to eomega.org thrive. Welcome to the Mentory TV podcast and Thrive with Patricia Falco-Beccali. Welcome back for another episode of COVID-19 from crisis to creation here on Mentory TV. I'm Patricia Falco-Beccali, your host. For this episode, I thought, why not take the COVID-19 crisis, which is a real pandemic and look at an epidemic, a long-standing epidemic, especially in the US, and that is the opioid crisis. How does a pandemic like COVID-19 really impact this kind of epidemic, like opioid use, overuse, considering the lockdowns may cause a lot of hardship, anxiety, economic difficulties going forward. So, uh, you know, looking at the statistics, I was flabbergasted. Between 1999 and 2018, about 750,000 people did die because of opioid abuse, and about a third of them due to prescription drugs. Prescription drugs, um, plain English, that is painkillers given to me by my doctor because I'm in pain and they are highly addictive. And not only that, they can launch really long-standing addiction problem to anybody. Doesn't matter how rich, how intelligent, how educated or not. In order to discuss all of this and more importantly, what the actual action can be to sort this pandemic out, I have invited Kemi Wolf-Rice. She is uh, the founder of the Christopher Wolf Crusade, that is a non-profit organization in the US looking at the opioid crisis, especially when it comes to prescription drugs, what is happening due to, well, she will tell you the story, her own story. Cami, thank you so much for joining me here on Mentorate TV. Thank you, Patricia, for having me. It's just such a joy to see you, and I appreciate the time with you today. Cami, let's uh, go right into the deep end and tell us about the CWC, the Christopher Wolfe Crusade. How did it come about? In February, February 26, 2016, I lost my older son, Christopher, and he was diagnosed with a colon disease um, in middle school and really suffered uh, with this colon disease for half of his life. And when he was a senior in high school, he had to have his large intestine removed and he was in the hospital for 70 days. And we went home with cottons and he literally had a hole in his stomach and it was literally the time when oxycotton had just been released into the market by Purdue Pharmacy and I actually was feeding them to him exactly per the doctor's orders of every four hours little did I know at that time he was doomed with that first prescription and Christopher, if you knew my son, you know, he, his, his goal was to be a Navy SEAL. He was very disciplined, straight A student, um, 
And this absolutely was caused literally by that first prescription. And while we had all the resources to go to multiple treatment centers and he fought it every single day of his life, uh, we ended up losing the battle. And so in 2018, I founded and launched Christopher Wolf Crusade in his honor. There is a lot of things being done in the U.S. on this opiate epidemic. We're losing 160, 170 people a day. And a lot of the allocation has been focused on treatment, which rightfully so it's needed. However, I saw that there was very little being done on the prevention side, and especially in our hospitals. So I've gone to many, many meetings. Patricia, I got to be honest, um, hearing these horrific statistics, I leave these meetings and I, I feel like a number and I feel like my Christopher is a number. And so I really, I, in every meeting, I try to say, this is my statistic. This is my son. Like this is happening to so many parents are losing their children because they're not educated and they don't know the proper things to do when yeah. you have a prescription given. Yeah, and that is, I think, something so important. I wonder how was it when Christopher fell sick and you actually were given uh, this drug, OxyContin, and it seems to be one of the most addictive ones, uh, addictive painkillers out there in the market. Were you given Anything in terms of the potential it being highly addictive, apart from whatever it is in the box in terms of the, uh, the warnings? Absolutely nothing. No conversation. And actually, that's still happening today. Um, my husband had a hip replacement in January. They gave us 39 Percocets. I said, you've given me 11 pages of discharge information, not one word of the dangers of the prescription. So we've actually put together opiate facts sheets, you know, to hand out. We've got videos. Uh, we're, we're really pioneering a new position, Patricia, because majority of med schools don't have one single class on substance misuse, not one. So we're not training our doctors properly. Um, I think that also patients are to blame. You cannot, when you're in the hospital and you're having surgery, you're going to have pain. And when they made pain the fifth vital sign, that's really what took a toll because hospitals were being graded on, did I keep you out of pain or not? And that's not fair to the hospital. That, that plan should have never been in place. So it's really making a lot of changes. We now have each state has a required physician database so that they have to put all prescriptions in that database. And if there's overprescribers, they will be red flagged. So we've seen a reduction um, and just putting protocols in place. So I think it's going to take efforts from everyone. It's not just one area. We all have to come together and work together as a team to make it better, honestly. Yeah. But to your point, mm -hmm. we weren't, we're not giving patients information. Do you know here in the U.S., when you have your wisdom teeth pulled, you can be given 20 Percocets. You can become addicted with one prescription. So it's educating parents as well and caretakers that that's not necessary. 
Well, I think this is uh, so super important that how quickly you can slip into it and for what minor uh, pain you are actually, the pain relief is a highly addictive drug. And just in terms of statistics, uh, numbers girl, so I like that. And I think it really puts into perspective how severe this uh, is. In the US, there were 170 million prescriptions of painkillers given, okay, across the board, but in some areas such as, for example, New Hampshire, that was six times as many. So there might even be patients getting more than one of these highly addictive drugs as painkillers. And talking of which, for example, Maggie Hassan, she is the senator of New Hampshire, and she is one of those really big proponents trying to change legislation, be it in the healthcare system, be it the monitoring, also the the, the, the funding of how to prevent um, drug addiction in general. She's very much pushing that issue because... It is huge. And the CDC actually came out saying that the economic burden of drug opioid abuse, the prescribed abuse, yeah, the prescribed abuse is about 80 billion US dollars a year. That's the impact, not the death, but whatever there is related. So it is a huge problem. And I would like to, to know from you. So you have launched CWC. My first reaction as a mother losing a son to something that was totally preventable, which I thought, I trust my doctor, he's going to sort me out. Not the pain, but me, long term. I would have gone to the doctor and ripped his head off, to really put it bluntly, but you can't do that. So the action you are taking, how did it all come about? And what is your real focal point? Are you just looking at, not just, are you looking at prevention? Or are you looking at, you know, the doctor's, the patients? Is it a bundle? It's a great question. Uh, you know, it's not in my heart to, yes, you're right. I mean, I, I don't even know if I came face to face with Christopher Surge, what I would do. Um, I got to take all of that because that's going to destroy me. What I'm trying to do is prevent other families, other mothers from feeling this pain of losing your child because there's nothing worse. I can just tell you that. I mean, it's, it's been a ride and it's hard to speak about my son dying every single day. It's difficult, but I will honestly tell you, and I tell you this, Patricia, he's driving the bus. Uh, he is driving the bus. And so what my job is, is to educate youth, educate parents, educate hospital patients that when they're going in and having surgery, what they must do, how they, they have to be on opiates, how fast they have to get off of them. Uh, I've been certified as an instructor from the Trauma Resource Institute to deal with anxiety, stress, PTSD, depression. And so that's my campaign. And that's, that's really what I'm fighting for. And policy change as well. You know, with if you look at 75% of heroin users started with a prescription. Yeah. One prescription. It's getting grandparents. You want me to tell you this? This is, this is astonishing. Mm -hmm. Grandparents were identified as one of the number one drug dealers in the United States. Why? Because they put their medicine in a medicine cabinet. And when their family and youth come over to their house, nieces, nephews, whatever, they get in the medicine cabinet and steal the drugs. Most drugs are someone else's prescription. 
So it's educating people to lock your medicine up, return your medicine in a safe way, dispose of it properly. You've got to educate people. And honestly, now that doctors are being red flagged on their prescription writing, you are seeing a reduction. And unfortunately, what's happened, those that are are um, having an issue and are already addicted, they are committing suicide or they're moving to heroin because they can't get the prescription. I was just about to ask exactly that because I don't have the actual process, how that happens, that one minute I take a pill, the next minute that pill is my addiction for however long you know, I live uh, until I stop. But at some point, I think the prescriptions are not coming along anymore. So what's the next step? So the the, the opioid, the prescribed opioid, the painkiller, is only a segue into something harder? Yes, because doctors are being red flagged, so you can't get your hands on the Oxycontin anymore or the, you know, Percocet or whatever that you're addicted to. And so you go to the street and you can get heroin cheap and quickly. Now, I will say with the shutdown, on this uh, attorney general task force and we've had discussions here in Georgia, the overdoses have gone up 30% since the pandemic. And I think that people, because they can't get the access and you can't help it. Once you have this issue, it's a, it's your brain is wired into, you have to have it. That's why you steal. You do whatever you can to get that drug because your brain has to have it. And if you don't have it, you get deathly, deathly, deathly ill. So what do they do? They go to the street and they purchase the heroin. And heroin in the United States, as I'm sure you're reading about in Europe, is laced with fentanyl and they're overdosing. And there's a really good uh, book out there, The Craving Mind by Dr. Judd Brewer. I don't know if you know it, Cami. Uh, it really explains very well how the brain reacts and that the addiction is actually to that reaction, of course, in the brain that we want to have over and over and over again. And he then also looks at ways out of it. But let me circle back to what you were saying earlier on, and that is once you fall into the trap of being addicted, how, what is the next step? What happens next when you realize as a mother, there's a problem? It's very difficult. Um, I, I think that parents don't want to believe it, um, but then they keep getting signals. So you really do have to pay attention. And there are many, many signals to, to substance misuse. And once you identify that, honestly, you do need help. And I will say the gap I see um, specifically in the United States, well, first of all, you have to find the right treatment center. Uh, there is an organization called Shatterproof that, that actually identifies the good and weeds out the bad treatment centers because a lot of people are just looking for a money opportunity, unfortunately. But the good treatment centers do a very good job. But where the gap is, Patricia, is when they leave the treatment center. If you have someone that has a profession let's say they're a realtor or a banker and they have something to go back to and they can be monitored and they can continue therapy, then their odds are much higher of being successful. And depending on what they're, they're addicted to, um, it's, it's a long process. And that's why I, I really, I dip in that area a little bit, but I have to stay focused on the prevention because it's just really painful. And honestly, the odds of you doing well, if you don't, you know, if you don't get treatment, then 
the odds are you're not going to make it, unfortunately. And I hate to say that because I'm the most optimistic person and try to always look at a glass half full, but it's a tough, tough disease to fight. And I personally believe that you have to have faith and a higher power, what that be, God, Buddha, whatever you are, I think that is a big piece uh, to, to, to beating it. Yeah, and I want to dig uh, later on more and more into your prevention program because I think it is so rich, offers so much that we need to spend a lot of time there. But let me just pick up on what you said, the signals. What are the signals of, uh, you know, of people that are falling into the trap of becoming an addict from a patient? Definitely becoming more of an introvert, you know, maybe staying in the room and not being as social, sleeping a lot, very moody, um, where you would normally not uh, have such a short temper, you know, really paying attention to the behavior and who's hanging around your kids and who is, you know, and, and honestly, it's so bad here in the U.S. They have child psychologists that recommend to parents get a Narcon shot and have it at your house. If it's not for your child, it could be for your child's friend to save a life. They are distributing them everywhere, in coffee shops, in any, everywhere, because overdoses are happening in parking lots. So I highly recommend getting the Narcon, and I didn't mean to go off on a tangent from your question, uh, but it's really looking at those behavioral changes to really see um, a difference in the behavior of the yeah, and, and family member that you're... Absolutely. And I think from parent to parent, it's, it's interesting to see ADHD, of course, being a big problem amongst children these days. So uh, they are given Ritalin as well. And Ritalin is, again, one of those prescription drugs, which is seems to be highly addictive and can cause a problem, uh, you know, later on. So us parents or any parent is really uh, in a catch-22 where they try to help their child with the ADHD, um, which is so bad that uh, doctors go, okay, you need to take those drugs in order to sort the kid out. Uh, so it calms down a bit, but then it creates an all whole new problem. So I just wanted to put this one in, how difficult really it is to A, let the system take over, let the doctor do what they need to do, which is look after your child, um, even if when you are aware, it is a huge, huge risk. Now let's talk about what you were just saying uh, earlier on, and that is the prevention. The prevention really, does it really start when, when you're aware of, okay, there's an opioid crisis? Or is the prevention already starting when the children are very small indeed? Bingo. You've got to start young with your kids. I really believe you have to have open conversations and not be afraid to have those tough conversations with your kids. Um, a lot of the music that kids listen to, uh, I, I work with Usher's New Look and we work with uh, youth. And I had them listen to a song where a rapper was singing, Molly, Molly, Percocet, Percocet, Molly, Molly. And I asked these kids, I'm like, do you think that he uses these? Do you know what this is? And they, first of all, they didn't know what an opiate was. Secondly, they didn't know what Molly Molly Percocet, Percocet was. And then I showed an interview of the artist being interviewed. It's on YouTube where they ask him, do you use Molly and Percocet? You're singing about it in your song. He said, absolutely not. No, I would never do that. He's doing it to sell music. And I'm not picking on that particular artist, but you have to pay attention to what your kids are listening to and you have to build awareness for them and educate them so that they make the right decisions. I mean, it's critical to have those conversations early, early on. Absolutely. Yeah, and that bits the question of accountability. 
You know, I mean, of course, this guy singing this song wants to sell discs, but should he be responsible saying, you know what, I know what my target audience is. How influential am I? And these, you know, pop stars, rappers and whatever, they are influential. Agree. Agree. And the other thing I would add to that is in the United States, you know, we really, uh, we respect our doctors and nurses as we should. And they've been our front line and, you know, God bless, right? But don't be afraid to have conversations and ask questions. Don't do what I did just to assume he said every four hours, this is what I need to do. No, even with dentists, dentists are the, some of the worst prescribers in our country. Not all dentists, but some, right? So don't be afraid to have those conversations and to ask those questions um, and, and really understand why you're on the medicine. And, and again, if you have to be on it, you need to know how fast you can get off of them. Because to, once you're addicted, you can become addicted with that first prescription. And it's very difficult to taper off opiates. There's a lot of side effects that I don't think people are aware of that are brutal, that are no fun. Don't be afraid to ask your physicians or your dentist about the prescriptions that you're being given. And you have to get a clear expectation in your mind when you're having surgery, when you're having procedures, you are going to be in a little bit of pain. And that's okay. It's part of the healing process. There's ice can do wonders. Ibuprofen can do wonders. There are many other things you can do for pain besides take an opiate. If you have to be on that, you need to get off of it as soon as possible because there are side effects to it as well. Yeah. And uh, that really feeds in very nicely with one newsletter you had on your website, the CWC.NGO um, website. And that is an episode where. Johnson and Johnson um, was actually ordered to pay $572 million for their part in the opioid epidemic. The company, it says on your website, was um, reproached by Judge Fat Bachman, he's Cleveland County, Oklahoma, for their extensive marketing and international misrepresentation of the effects of opioid use. This is why I'm mentioning it, because you were talking about the side effects, Cami. And he said, the judge said, Johnson Johnson published, quote, false, misleading, and dangerous marketing campaigns that had, quote, caused exponentially increasing rates of addiction, overdose, and death. Um, I found this on, on your website and I looked at it. Of course, it is, it is true. This is a, is a viable source. And these kind of things, these kind of, uh, you know, fines and actions are only the tip of the iceberg, which shouldn't be just a tip. It should really filter down and really look that they, they want to, of course, sell. So they don't want people to taper off very fast. They want them to continue for as long as possible because as long as they do, they make money or am, be, am I being unfair now to the drug industry? No, not at all. It's billions and billions and billions of dollars. And it's very difficult. I'll give you an example. Purdue with Oxycontin. Now all of a sudden they have come out with a pill that's supposed to help with the addiction. Now what a business plan <laughs> that is. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. I have to laugh. It's really so sad that I, what? So they're coming out with a pill after you are addicted that then will cure you from the addiction. Did I get that right? 
Yes. And they also are coming out, well, they've already come out with competitive product Narcan. So when you're overdosing on the pill that I sold you, then this is going to save your kid's life and I'm going to make money on that end as well. So not only are they coming out with medicine to help with the addiction that we got you on, we're also going to come out with medicine and make money uh, to save your life when you're overdosing. And to me, it's it's just so hard to stomach. I cannot. I, that's why I just... I can't focus my energy there, Patricia, because it, it's just, it's heart-wrenching to me. It's I mean, they killed my... Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a grind. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And and maybe this is the right point, Kemi, to, to, to drill now really, really into what you do with the Christopher Wolf Crusade and what programs and, and also you're, you're doing studies to, to find out what is the best way to tackle, to raise awareness uh, and to prevent addiction in the first place. No, it is, it is, it's really a, quite an accomplishment that CWC was granted an IRB. It's an FDA regulated research project. That's way we're listed on clinicaltrials.gov. So this is a real serious pioneering of when I say this is not a dream that we're going to have 10 life care specialists. This is our goal and our mission is to have these in every hospital across the United States. And with having this research, as you well know, Patricia, everything is based on data. You've got to have that data to prove, you know, your efficacy of the proof that it works, right? So we, we get these patients that we're specifically doing our study in trauma orthopedic because that is the number one place where our young people have their first introduction to a hospital to pain medicine. They've had a car accident. They've had a you know sports injury. Whatever the case may be, statistically proven, that's where young people end up in the hospital first. So that's where we're doing our study. So they've already had a traumatic incident happen, right? So you're going to have anxiety, stress. The doctors and nurses do not have the time to spend with that patient. We come in kind of like a pain coach. We're here to help you to put together a pain management plan for you. We're here to educate you on the medicine you're taking. We're here to give you tools and techniques to utilize without taking opiates. And that's what they need. And most importantly here, Patricia, I want to make a point. Hospitals in the United States have no follow-up program. They don't have the money or the program. It does. There's no follow-up when you leave the hospital. You can follow up specifically with your doctor, but not with the hospital. We have developed an app. We will be having the patients download on their phone, and we'll be communicating ongoing with that patient when they leave. How's your pain today? How many pain pills did you take today? Are we off of it now after a week? You know, we're monitoring that. So this is really, really critical data that will prove that we do need that, that human being to talk to you about your wellness. That's why we called it a life care specialist. Yeah. It's, it's that wellness beast. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, uh, absolutely makes sense. And the tools you mentioned, can you give me an example? What is a tool for me to manage my pain rather than taking a pill? I'm so glad you asked that question. So I just was certified as an instructor uh, and CWC has partnered with Trauma Resource Institute. They're based out of California. And the founder, Elaine Kraus, is amazing. And here's, let me just give you a couple of techniques. I used them all during the pandemic with friends and family members and, and people that had stress going on. You have to pay attention first off to your nervous system. 
So Patricia, when you feel anxiety, what sensations do you feel? Okay, when, when I feel anxiety, actually, I, I notice, if I notice that I'm actually going through anxiety, because sometimes that seems to be just more subconscious, I tend to breathe even lower than we all tend to breathe in general in these days, always uh, being on the go. And I feel my stomach is actually as if it's, um, if it's frozen. So there's no relaxation. So I'm feeling like a clamping up in the in the upper part of the body. I may be absolutely uh, seeming very calm, happy, shiny myself. Um, however, inside it's just this big, big freeze almost um, of 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 my stomach mainly. So. Okay, perfect. Thank you. That was great. What you want to do is get someone to exactly what you just did, share what happens in their body, because really it is things that are going on in your nervous system. So the first thing that we teach is grounding, how to ground yourself. Literally, you can do it from a bed. You can do it in a chair, feel your feet on the ground. Even putting your hand down on a cold table and pressing down helps ground you. That's the first thing you do is ground yourself. I'm giving you a, just a little taste of this, so of the techniques. So you ground yourself. Then you come up with resources. What beautiful memory do you have of your beautiful daughter, your husband, a beautiful moment that you can close your eyes and visualize and go to? Oh, the fun I have on holiday with either of them, <laughs> either together or individually. It definitely is one of those, uh, you know, those, those moments when your beloved ones especially surprise you, um, you know, a surprise party or dinner. And, you know, these are the kind of things that, oh, I just, again, you know, you're, you're, you're touched to tears in a good way. See that? Look at how you were smiling, just going. <laughs> you, you, you could just—you just had this glow around you. So my point is, once you ground, then you go to that resource, that happy place, to try to get you in that resilient zone. But they have these little help me techniques of ask. Uh, tell me five colors that you see in the room right now. In your right room. Now? Right Okay, I see <laughs> my pea green <laughs> behind me. I see white from my orchids. I see silver from my frames. Uh, I see blue from my um, curtains. How many so, what that, so what that does is it's triggering your brain to, to, to get away from the anxiety. These are just little techniques, right? If you're very angry, stand up and push like you're going to push the wall down, just push the wall. All these little techniques that we have, I mean, there's a slew of them. I could sit here and talk to you and, and do the whole class with you, which would be fun. We'll yeah. do that on another interview. <laughs> uh, we, we literally have all these techniques. And honestly, um, this, this training is in over a hundred uh, countries. They bring teams in when the tsunami happened in Thailand, when we had the concert shooting in Vegas, when we had the bar shooting in Orlando. They've been training our frontline nurses and doctors to do these little techniques. And what's beautiful about it, it doesn't cost you anything. You can do them yourself for yourself and they actually work. So we're teaching our patients all these little techniques that they can then go home and do. And right now we're preparing them to have them on the CWC website. That's amazing. That's amazing. So that I can share it with the world. Yeah. Now, I, this is amazing. And I wonder now, uh, is this a tool or these tools, can you use them for the pain management or can you use them also 
when you're already addicted and you feel the urge to not go and get the next whatever kick. So yes, you can. I mean, it's specifically for anxiety, stress, depression, and PTSD, these techniques and pain. It gets your mind off the pain. So they definitely, definitely do work. I will say, Patricia, if someone is seriously addicted to heroin or opiates, what is beautiful that they have today is it's called medical assisted program. They call it MAT. And it actually, I mean, you don't want to have to take a drug the rest of your life, but I have numerous, numerous cases where it it actually has helped. And they take, they go and they take the medicine and they have a medical assisted treatment program to get off the heroin, to get off the opiates. And sometimes the addiction is so severe that MAT programs are needed and it's okay. It's okay to do a MAP program because that can save your life. It's, it's okay. And I've, I've seen a lot, I've heard a lot of success out of that. That's what it's hard, you know, because I think, oh, if I only had had a MAP program for Christopher, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good that, you know, unfortunately it takes your kind of experience perhaps to get more and more, I don't want to say the lobby going, but the awareness raise and the pressure up that something needs to change, not fast, but yesterday. And that really brings me to a really vital point, which is funding. Because CWC is, of course, it's a non-profit organization, but it lives through funding. And uh, again, I looked at this, uh, the latest statistics from the government, the CDC was given last year, 2019, a total of 475 million uh, US dollars. And I put myself here only in brackets, and that's my own, my, my own opinion, for preventing, okay, for this prevention of addiction due to prescription drugs. For me, that sounds really, really little. What about you? Yeah, you know, Patricia, it's like I said in the beginning of the interview, majority of the funding is going all allocated to treatment centers. And again, I know that there needs to be treatment centers. However, however, I'm not seeing really anything being done on the prevention side. And so it's, it's been very difficult. We've applied for grants at SAMHSA and with the government, and we're actually waiting to hear back for approval. It will cost you more money at the end if you don't pay it up front, right? I mean, we as a country, and I, you know, I, I, we're just not really good at prevention. We wait till diabetes happens and then we get to talk about diet, you know, and it's backwards. We need to be more proactive and get on the front side of this so that you're not spending the $80 billion on addiction, right? And substance misuse. So yes, it's, it's frustrating. Um, I've had self-funders and I've applied for grants it's a little difficult. Sometimes you feel like you're throwing stuff on the wall to see what sticks. Um, I believe that once this research, this IRB is completed and we have the data um, to back up and we have analysts analyzing the data, we're doing this first class and and right. Uh, you know, the dynamics you mentioned earlier on, uh, showing that during uh, the, the COVID-19 crisis, actually addiction and, and drug abuse go, went up by 30%, gives it another another push potentially. And I wonder, you mentioned also Asher. Um, I know he's a backer of uh, CWC, um, a dear friend of yours as well. How about endorsement in general? 
by these opinion leaders, big stars, idols, especially for the vulnerable, you know, the teenager. My daughter is a teenager right now, and we have discussions about uh, should I drink, should I not drink, they smoke, I don't, da, da, da. And of course, this takes it a step further. How powerful is endorsement in general? It's critical. And on top of him just being like a brother to me and really has been there for me since the passing of Christopher. And, you know, we work with youth starting in in middle school all the way through into the workforce, through college and into the workforce. And we're getting ready to, CWC is doing digital online workshops with the anxiety and and the training that I just reviewed with you and the education of opiates uh, with Usher's New Look and with our youth. And he's been a huge advocate and very supportive. And, you know, it's like we're getting ready to do an all-day digital class. And as a surprise, he's going to jump on to the kids out of a break room and say, hey, you know, and he's big brother almighty uh, to all of our youth. We all have stage names. And um, so it's critical, honestly. We've got more celebrities, the better. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Cami, we could really talk um, about this issue uh, for hours. And unfortunately, you know, in the time that you and I spent here, we only touched the surface, hopefully enough for anybody watching this to be curious enough to look deeper into the issue and and consider to to be active about it as well. Um, That's really what I'm trying to provide here with Mentory TV is, is to get people like you on that do exceptional things, really try to move the needle to evolve and have others evolve by sharing it as well so um where can people find you where can they find the christopher wolf crusade what can they do in terms of getting information and actually getting also actively evolved it doesn't involve it doesn't matter where they are us or europe or anywhere else on the globe Thank you. I, I love that. I appreciate that. So we are on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, as Christopher Wolf Crusade. We also go by CWC, but it is Christopher Wolf Crusade. And our web address is cwc.ngo. Who is not dealing with stress, anxiety these days, right? With everything that's going on in our world. So I really feel like a lot of the techniques and the tools will help people so that they don't feel a need to self medicate. Right. And that's what it's all about. So I just cannot thank you enough, Patricia. You're a dear, wonderful friend. I'm so proud of the work that you're doing. Uh, you make all of us women just so proud. So thank you, <laughs> oh, thank thank you, you so much. <laughs> Cami, I mean, I think I can totally return this. You, you make me so proud. I think it's amazing. As I said, nobody can really fathom what you have gone through and how you came from that crisis and you create and you continue to create your walk, your walk, you know, um, um, and uh, you walk your talk, and um, this is amazing. And I'm sure that a lot of people will benefit from our conversation, from from you know your initiatives, and uh, yeah, and rolling out these programs. Hopefully, not only in the U.S. but really spreading it um, with the right funding, with the right people, a lot of heart and support across to everywhere on this planet. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. And you know what? There's one thing I did not say that I really would like to say in ending is that we all, as a people around the world, we really need to remove stigma 
from substance misuse. We've got to remove it so that people don't hide it under the rug. I mean, I always used to say this isn't a casserole disease. I didn't have neighbors bringing me food and trying to support me because they didn't know, because I didn't say anything. And it's so important that you speak out, that you get the help, not to be embarrassed. Please don't treat these people that they're bad people. They, become, they can't help it. You've got to never, ever give up on your people that are having issues with substance misuse. So let's stop the stigma. Critical. Absolutely. Let's stop the this, this stigma. Thank you so much, Kemi Wolf-Rice, for joining us here on Mentor TV. Thank you, Patricia. Big kiss. Find out how to connect with nature as a powerful source that supports health and well-being. I'm Dina Salisi, and on my podcast, Your Healing Garden, I go on location to talk with artists, authors, healers, teachers, and much more to explore how nature supports us in creating healthy, vibrant lives. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.